G'day everyone and welcome you are on the grid here on mypodcasthouse.com. Thank you for joining us. We're going to cover off a couple of things in this episode. We've got MotoGP at Mugello. We'll uh, do that with Braxy very shortly. But first of all, a big weekend of Shannon's Nationals down at Phillip Island. And to help me look at what happened down there on the weekend, we say g'day to Darren Smith, series commentator. G'day, Daz. G'day, Tony. Uh, still uh, frothing at the mouth I am after Dan Ricciardo and we've uh, taken those big races last weekend. It uh, hardly seems like only seven days ago. Australia was on top of the motorsport world, does it? It's a good time to be an Aussie in motorsport. There is no doubting that. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they did us quite proud. There's no doubt. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Will Power. But we focus our attention to what the boys did at uh, the Shannon's Nationals round on the weekend. Uh, what a spectacular weekend it was weather-wise. Yeah, I tell you what, we were absolutely blessed down there. The air temps weren't exactly high, sort of reaching 15, 16 degrees, uh, but the action on track did not reflect that at all. It was pretty hot across uh, five national categories down there on the weekend, really enjoyable. Uh, from our point of view anyway, Tony, we look out over Bass Strait, beautiful, uh, beautiful property down there at Tulip Island. Yeah, it certainly is a great place to go and watch motor racing from, a great place to commentate from. For the people that don't know, we've got a massive control tower that we set up the top of, and you can effectively see 80% of the track, which just makes it so good to watch, and it was so good to watch what happened on the weekend. Let's kick it off with the Cam's Pace Australian Formula 4 Championship. Still getting used to saying that. We do thank Jayco for the work that they did with the Formula 4 Championship, but now Pace have come on board, and what a good time for them to come on board when Jaden Ojeda takes a clean sweep of a, week being a weekend at Phillip Island. He certainly did a, a fantastic job, Jaden Ojeda, fresh out of uh, Formula 4, the, you know, the, the first stepping stone out of carts on the way through to the Pace Formula 4s, that's for sure. And uh, as you said, I echo those sentiments. Uh, J.K. did a fantastic job since 2015 looking after that category. But Jaden Ojeda, Cameron Shields, they're uh, a class act, those two drivers at the front of that field. And both of them have got multiple programs on the go. So I guess they're, they're sort of doing it with their hands and feet and doing it nearly every uh, every weekend, which is what it's all about. It's about getting uh, your backside into a car and uh, twiddling the thumbs and, and the toes and, and getting on with it. You know, last year or a couple of years ago, champion Will Brown does exactly that. He gets his backside into whatever he can, whatever yeah. he can. And you think these two guys are uh, echoing that sort of sentiment? They certainly are. I guess the only thing I'd flag, Tony, is that they probably now want to be setting their sights for Europe or North America. They're, they're still only young blokes, but they've really got to get on with that, that international career if that's what they want to do. Yeah, budget's always uh, an issue in regards to that for Aussie drivers, but uh, who knows what these guys might be able to put together in the future. So it was a clean sweep for Jaden Ojeda. For Cameron Shields, a DNF in round three has turned this championship into a real close contest. Now, Shields leading the championship by one point from Ryan Sewell, who leads second place from by one point from Jaden Ojeda in third. So two points separating the top three in the Cam's Pace Australian Formula 4 Championship. Yeah, looking forward to uh, watching that uh, series grow right throughout uh, 2018 and certainly since its inception in 2015. We've seen some good names come out and uh, some of them have gone international, some of them have gone international and returned and uh, we saw that in the Porsches. Uh, in fact, some of those guys that have done some Formula 4 and then and gone to Europe and North America and uh, come back into the 
Porsche Michelin GT3 Cup Challenge. We saw some of them on the, on the go on the weekend as well. Next round of the Cam's Pace Australian Formula 4 Championship visits Queensland Raceway on the 20th to the 22nd. I think that's the next time that we also see the Porsche Michelin GT3 Cup Challenge, which saw also another clean sweep handed to Cooper Murray in uh, what was a great round for him down at Phillip Island. I'll tell you what, Ash Seawood Motorsport that are running young Cooper Murray have... Uh really unearthed uh, some great drivers here this year. Cooper Murray, of course, running in the, the outright uh, stakes. They've got a young bloke, um, Christian Pantione, in the VCM performance car running in Class B, leading the way there, and Danny Studdett leading the amateurs. So really strong weekend for Cooper Murray and, and all of his teammates out of uh, Ash Seawood Motorsport. And in fact, they've got some of the other more established teams, if you like, sort of scratching their head going, uh, looking over their shoulder at uh, where's he drawing these young ones from? But the battle with Max Widow and Cooper Murray was alive and well. Unfortunately, Max Widow didn't get the easy run from it because Simon Fallon upset that run along the way. Jimmy Vernon weighed in on Chelsea Angelo completed the weekend, although she did mess up a, a start there. Uh, she did complete the weekend and brought it home after another team wall racing out of uh, New South Wales performed absolute magic after she... Smashed it up pretty bad, actually, at Dandenong Road at the previous mm. round at Sandown, which was only four weeks earlier. In fact, only three weeks they had to get a, a car, a chassis, which they intercepted off a ship heading for elsewhere in the world, redirected it to Sydney, and the, the war racing team uh, reshelled that car for her. And she's on her way, so we'll just keep an eye on what uh, Chelsea's doing over the next couple of rounds. Simon Fallon also circulating pretty well over the weekend, keeps him in second place in the championship to Cooper Murray, who now has a pretty handy lead. We should also, a 47-point lead, actually, from Murray to uh, to Fallon. Uh, we should also congratulate, you mentioned uh, the young guy there, Christian Pankioni and Ben Stack, both having their maiden wins in uh, the GT3 Cup Challenge uh, over the weekend as well. So well done to them. Yeah, certainly those three classes topped off, aren't they? The pros, the pro-ams and the, and the B class. And uh, interestingly enough, B class is a young bloke called Matt Campbell that will start in the 24-hour Le Mans this year. Only four years ago, absolutely brained him in B class. Came back a year later, did the same thing to an A class, went to Carrera Cup and then launched his international career off the back of a, the Porsche Junior Program. So keep your eye on the B class out of the Porsche Michelin Jetty Tree Cup Challenge. Well, well, interesting days in the CAMS Australian GT Championship. Can you try and explain in less than three minutes as to what the hell no. happened down there? <laughs> no, not even going to try. Not even going to try. In fact, it had everyone on the hop. And uh, I think the, the first incident, which was the Janetta uh, that, that went into the wall, which was a, a nasty crash down there for Rio Negaro. By the way, Rio Negaro had taken two wins on Saturday in the GT Trophy Series. So... I was trying to top out a great weekend, unfortunately smashed up the G55, and that was at uh, MG. That brought the field into a race suspension, so cars stop on the grid. No one can attend the cars. It was about 30 minutes later we got back underway. It was only a few minutes uh, later that we had two GT4s go in, uh, a KTM crossbow and an Aston Martin Vantage. Uh, Vince DeSorio at the wheel of the, um, at the wheel of the KTM. And uh, then the uh, the Aston Martin Vantage with Jeremy Gray, the wheel arrived on the scene and, and uh, it was about 10 or 15 seconds later, did more damage to the wall. So safety is paramount. The red flag was then hung out. And then we went into this uh, process of trying to work out, right, we're 55% race. We can't really declare it until 75%, but at 50 to 75%, we can get half points. Looked at the clock and went, eh, they're saying half an hour. Let's go. Let's fix the wall. 
in the end, we had 30 minutes <laughs> from from uh, quarter past four till uh, sort of quarter to five to get the race um, resulted. In the end, it was a fantastic result for the KFC C-Tech Mobinet car of Tony Bates and Daniel Gaunt. And a big congratulations. Those two have been teamed up in various forms of uh, this sort of endurance race for four years now, and it's come across really nicely. And the, the, the nice story continues because the BMW team, Steve Richards Motorsport, Steve Richards and the great Mikey Armand out of South Australia, yeah. came home in second in the BMW M6. So that's a, another a three, four, three-year program that Steve Richards embarked on. It's been a tough old grind for that team, but they've been third at... Talon Bennett, round one of the Shannon's Nationals. Now they're second, and I comment to Matt Koch, their commentator, on the weekend. Watch out next round, third, second, first. Everyone may as well stay home because uh, S. Richards and M. Armand or Ricky Capo or whoever he joins in with are up for another uh, podium. Max Twig and Tony Alberto finishing in third place, and some of the other big names racing on the weekend. Garth Tandrin with Jeff Emery. They finished fifth, and fantastic to see uh, Jackson Evans driving with Fraser Ross, finishing sixth overall. He's This kid's got so much talent, Jackson Evans, what we see him do in the Porsche uh, Wilson Security Carrera Cup, and now what we're seeing him do in GTs. Massive future ahead of this boy. Yeah, I think that there was actually some... The, the, those two stoppages in the race caught a couple of teams really on the hop. Peter yeah. Hackett and Jake Foraker were they had the, the win written all over it. It just fell... Horrible day in that respect for them. Adrian Dietz and Cam McConville were another couple of lucky ones early on, and then they got caught out on the hop as well. And we just watched Hackett and Foraker drop down the timesheet from leading the race, and they had a lap up just to going dropping out of the five. And then uh, for some reason or another, they, they got a, a drive-through as well. So it was, um, you know, it, it went from... From bad to worse for those guys, but they were fast and a real shame. But I think Peter Hackett, who is defending endurance, Australian endurance champion with his new um, co-driver, Jake Foraker, I think they'll live to fight another day with Eagleston Motorsport. They're, they're a, a handy bunch to have behind them and certainly two drivers that will get the job done, I think, uh, come the next round of the endurance championship. And the next round of the uh, GT championship is the 4th to the 5th of August at Sydney Motorsport Park. Daz, always great to chat to you, mate. Thanks for your help over the weekend. Really enjoy commentating with you, and uh, we'll do it again very soon. I think next time for us will be uh, up at Queensland. Yes, yeah, certainly will be, 28th, 29th of July. So yeah. I've my birthday up there, so don't forget the presents, mate. Look forward to it, mate. Talk to you then. Bye-bye now. Darren Smith talking the Shannon's Nationals with us. We'll take a break. Back in just one sec, we'll talk MotoGP. Time to talk two wheels here on the grid, and we do that MotoGP style with Mark Brax, as always. Good morning to you, Braxy. Good morning, Shebex. How are you on this beautiful Monday morning? Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous, and it's a Monday morning after what was a uh, pretty fantastic Megalo MotoGP and Jorge Lorenzo. Uh, well, one could say he spoilt the party for the Italians. Um, yeah, well, he did, and I think that was evident in the after-race celebrations when he went to grab Lorenzo land in front of the Ducati stand, and I was uh, quite surprised at the lack of enthusiasm from the Ducati yesterday. They just seemed to sit there and uh, clap politely at him after uh, what can only be termed a decimating effort by the much-maligned of Jorge Lorenzo, the five-times world champion. But if you're going to come back to form, you may as well do it and smash him out of the park, eh? Yeah, you might as well, exactly. And it's sort of a bittersweet thing, isn't it, for the Italians? They're all going for for the uh, 
they were all going for uh, Rossi, of course, who uh, qualified in pole position, and I think that really got everyone excited. But if Rossi's not going to win, well, you might as well get a Ducati over the line. Yeah, exactly. I think, and I think it was a bit of an irony there as well. I had a bit of a chuckle with myself late last night while I was watching it that, uh, you know, Lorenzo's gone. He's gone into the record books now as winning on um, two different marks and being the, well, one of the few that could actually win on the Ducati going from another brand. And uh, Rossi tried that and failed miserably. And now um, Lorenzo's got one up on him with um, all these rumours starting to circulate that he might be back in uh, Yamaha. Well, not so much Yamaha colours, but riding the Yamaha next year, Lorenzo. And uh, But then what else do you believe too, Quebec? There's other rumours that Ducati have given him a couple of, on the um, eve of the race, said to him, we'll give you another couple of races to prove yourself before we make a decision on your future. It's been one of those interesting things, hasn't it, Braxy? You, you mentioned just a second ago about the fact that uh, Ducati, uh, the fact that Lorenzo has, has won on the Ducati and also the Yamaha. It's taken a damn long time for them, him, though, to get that consistency, hasn't it? I mean, last year was pretty much a, a washout for, uh, for him and that Ducati bike. Oh, it was. Yeah, he was. He showed flashes of it. Like he got a couple of podiums last year, and uh, you know, I'm I'd laugh at these people that write people off so suddenly. You know, a bloke doesn't learn a lose the talent and the education of how to ride a motorcycle, and uh, it just goes to show you how fine that balancing act is on that. Uh, well, we say many times you've got the grip of the size of a credit card that's attaching you to the bitumen, the terra firma. And uh, just all that feeling that goes basically through the seat of your pants. And if you're not feeling it, um, it's a very fine line between having that success and that comfort zone. As we saw last night with Lorenzo, he took off from the start. And we were everybody, I think, in the world was waiting for, him to, for the rest of the field to claw, claw their way back to him and relegate him back to um, wherever. But, mate, he just got into that groove, that Minotrone attitude again that he did on the 250s in those days when he won the... Uh, MotoGP um, titles battling with Rossi and Ed Al, but um, you know he got onto that. And they've said there's a couple of little changes on the bike that they've moved the fuel tank and moved the geometry of the bike and also the centre of gravity. And hey, you've only got to move the things on these bikes five and lift that, yeah. and it can change the whole dynamic, even lengthening or shortening the swing arm by a few mil changes the whole dynamics of a motorbike. And for him to do it around uh, Mugello, which has got a bit of everything, I don't think that, well, television never gives justice to what the undulations of a racetrack are like. And uh, Mugello is one of them. It's got a couple of hundred feet um, difference in elevation changes, particularly going down in that, uh, that well, ultra-critical San Donato corner from uh, 350 k's down to about 80 k's. And... You've got to be on the front, you've got to be on the rear, you've got to have the right balance of the bike to get through the chicanes to be able to ch- make it to change directions properly, particularly the, the last one that leads into that final corner under that um, magnificent 1.1-kilometre straight. And I really think that he's just found that little bit and that click in the head. As we all know, when something goes right and you just feel comfortable on the bike, and we saw that in the other classes too, the guys getting the, getting the grips of the Moto3 and Moto2 with a couple of different changes that have um, brought uh, different um, characteristics of riders' seasons. But Lorenzo, mate, next stop we've got um, Catalonia, mm. Barcelona, which has got another few uh, elevation changes, not as dramatic as what Mugello is, but... He's um, on his home track. He's had some magnificent races there. Some he's finished second, some he's won. And I think, um, well, you know, it's really sparked the championship up. And I've forgotten to mention, too, at the moment that 
uh, and has been livened up again. Albeit Marquez still leading by 22 or 23 points at the moment after Rossi moving in the second in his third position. But it has opened up the championship and added that extra little ingredient into it now that there's somebody else in the mix that can actually go out and win. Davicioso, his teammate, fresh from signing that two year, new two-year deal at Le Mans, is probably thinking, hang on, I might still have George as a teammate next year at this rate. Uh, exactly right. And I think when uh, Marquez went off and Rossi went into second place, I think that sort of gave uh, some big hopes in regards to how that race might finish. But full credit to Divisioso uh, for, for taking Rossi in what was a, a fantastic battle between those two for those final two spots on the podium. Oh, yeah, and Divisioso coming from way back on the grid where we did, well, way back on the third or fourth row of the grid, where we, the third row of the grid, pardon me, uh, and, he, and he got a shocker at the start, and it was, I think, about, at, about the seventh or eighth at one stage before he started to uh, clamber his way up the ladder to the top, and by that time, uh, his teammate and rival, Lorenzo, had already made the break, and uh, it was a bit, you know, a bit too much to claw back, and I think Dobby was thinking, okay, I haven't finished the last couple of races. I need some championship points here, and especially when Marquez went out, and he would have got the sign from his pit board. He's gone, okay, just keep it cool. If George is going to ride that well, let him go with it. I'll consolidate second, get away from the rest of the marauding pack, pick up those 20 vitable points. You know, it's only six rounds in. We've still got another yeah. 12 rounds of the championship to go. So, and Marquez proved last night that. As, a, as we said, there's a fine line between it. And I'll tell you what, Shebex, how he, he's all, he was almost looking at that gravel thinking, OK, if that digs in, I'll be able to pick the thing up and keep on going yeah. within one fell through without even actually falling off the bike. And I had to laugh at one of the commentators. He said, isn't it good that he can get back on the bike after crashing it? And uh, Matty Burt's gone, but he didn't crash it. He was underneath yeah. it. He just slid out from underneath him. And now got back on the bike, but it's really added another element of the championship, and who would have thought that six rounds in, you'd see Rossi in second position. Uh, exactly right, and uh, Maverick Vinales in third, so it's Marquez oh. on 95, Rossi on 72, Vinales on 67, Divisioso 66, and Zarco on 64, so even though Marquez has a, uh, what, a 23-point lead, as you mentioned, gee whiz, it's still tight, and there's still anyone's battle. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, like, well, you look at Vignali still in third position and he's had a shocker. He had another shocker last night. I think he finished eighth. So he's giving some word to the Yamaha team that they don't want to hear that he's really struggling on this bike at the moment. And, uh, Rossi seems to, well, Rossi's Rossi, isn't he? He's put it on pole position, put the fastest ever lap around the jello there on Saturday afternoon for a 39 year old. And his 23-year-old teammate is really struggling. And the yeah. same can be said with Zarko last night. Zarko finishing, I think, out of the top 10 for the first time in, um, well, in his, G in his short Moto GP career. So, um, and those guys are still in the hunt for the championship when you look at it. You yeah, know, oh, 23 really. Points. Yeah. 23 points, it's only one race win. And we'll prove it. You know, we've had uh, Davicioso's crash, Yanomi's crashed. Um, Marquez has crashed, so they've all had a DNF at this stage. Rossi's consistency is keeping him in there. He hasn't won a race at yet at the moment, but I don't think that's too far off either. And like he's got a, a probably a good spring in his step. Might be feeling a bit dusty this morning after night in Mugello, but he's certainly got a spring in his step for the 39-year-old. And this championship, I think it might be a cliche in our um, Chebecs. We say, oh, this is going to be the best year ever, and then the next year just steps it up again. So I think we that predicament again where we're getting enough, as long as we can keep Marquette in check because when he is on it, he is on it, that young kid. He's just a 
Well, he showed it yesterday. He had a thing on the on his elbow and his knee for about fifty or sixty metres, trying to pick it up off the deck. Yeah, and uh, still managed to get it and just missed out on a point. So, mate, this championship and now that Lorenzo's won, um, it's for the purists. I think it's um, just something that's fantastic for the championship and uh, proves that it is one of the most. Uh, fantastic forms of motorsport on the planet. You know, even if we haven't got an Aussie out there, he's still on the edge of the seat every time they go out. Well, we do have an Aussie out there, Jack Miller, and he's missed out on a top 10 spot for the first time since he didn't compete in Japan last year. Yeah, exactly. And went out early, crashed out early, unfortunately. We didn't see that on the vision from uh, Italy last night. But, uh, you know, he's... uh, well, he was up into, I think he was fifth position going into this race overall in a championship with his consistency, as you said, Shebex, those uh, top ten finishes and two top four finishes. Um, you know, you got he's going to be pushing a bit hard. As we said, they're right on the limit. Things are going to go wrong. And as I've been told plenty of times after I've crashed, they've only got two wheels and they're going to fall over sooner or later. It's yeah. just a matter of one. Correct, so, mate. Jack will take that away. Um He'll be pretty philosophical. It'll be interesting to read his um, um, take on the race on the Red Bull uh, website that they do after every race and um, see what he can come back in Catalonia. But as we saw the Ducatis, they went close to having a, a block out on the uh, podium with Petrucci, um, Jack's teammate, coming through to third. But then I think he just asked too much of his tyres during the race after having that pretty mediocre start from up there on the front row of the grid. Um Oh, sorry, up in the second row of the yeah. grid. Um, he got through to third position, and it looked like, man, it's going to be a Ducati whitewash here. But uh, the rest of the lads hauled him in. And also, um, you know, him and Jack on those 2017 machines, they're not too far off the pace. And I think Petrucci's gone with that result, has basically rubber-stamped his name in to get that, that factory Ducati ride if Lorenzo moves on. Um and like we know, there's nothing certain here in this world at the moment, especially no. seeing the Lindholz run a, won a race. Um, you know, the, but at least Jack will be on a 2019 bike next year. Uh, whether he is in the um, Pramac team or the Factory Ducati team, he is going to have the same kit as what the the big boys are going to have. And I think he's really adapted to that motorcycle. We said it last year when we when he first signed that mm. he's going to be a different Jack this year. We certainly have. He, uh, he can ride that bike the way he wants to. Um, he doesn't have to worry about the, the idiosyncrasies of the Honda. People say that the Honda's an easy bike to ride, but that bike has basically been, been designed for and solely for Mark Marquez to win races on it. Yeah, nice. And um, he's only got one style, and no one else has got a style like him. And poor old Danny Pedrosi's teammate, he must be, um, well, thinking, you know, another crash for him. Mate, if he'd fallen, fallen into a barrel full of tits, he'd come up sucking <laughs> his thumb, I tell you, poor yeah. bloke at the moment. He's... Uh, he just can't win a trick that little, and he's under threat now to keep his ride for 2019 too, Danny Pedrosa. That's another thing that came out of the paddock this weekend. Well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes, I'm, I'm sure, about that. Mate, just before I let you go, very quickly also, what a, an amazing race in Moto2, uh, Miguel Oliveira and Lorenzo Baldassari. What a fantastic finish between those two. Well, that's the best Moto2 race we've seen in, oh, I'd say, a good two or three years. No in doubt. One stage eight of them there battling for the lead uh, on the Honda powered machines. Um, a great race. It was, um, And it was what we thought the Moto3 race was going to be like. The Moto3 race had normally got seven or eight of them yeah. street fighting for the 21 laps, but only three of them broke away. But Oliveira, that last move in the last... Like, mate, talk about close your eyes, hold your breath and yeah. grab a big handful of yes. whatever. 
No, he um, oh, it was just. I thought, no, he's going to crash, but he managed to pull it off the Portuguese rider, and um, that is uh, Lyman up the Moto Three Championship as well. Everybody's talking about Yohan Mir coming into the Suzuki team, the guy that's uh, doing a bit of a good work in the Moto Two category at the moment. But I'll tell you what, there's a, a good lot of talent there that's just bubbling under the surface, and uh, I can't wait for next year. Well, I can because we're all getting too old too quick, but. Um, next year when the Triumph 675 engine is the engine of choice in the Moto2 category, the racing will be really tight then because of everybody trying to adapt their frames mm. to the Triumph, the idiosyncrasies of the triple cylinder. So Moto2's Moto got a good lot of life with it, and I think that championship will go right to the wire as well this year. Good on you, Braxy. Always great to catch up, mate. We'll do it again soon. In a couple of weeks, Shebex, looking forward to it. Thanks, Mark. Brax joining us here on The Grid.